0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chan's house on Thursday the 1st of August. I'm Jenny Tansey, and with me reading the news are Sue Perry, Hannah Green and Kate Hadman will be joining us soon. Nigel Green is our engineer, Carol Hartley is working on the administration and this week's copying team are Bernard and Doreen Potter and Janet Bailey. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are Travellers Smash Man's Skull after Loud Music Complaint, Rape Victims Plea to Others Please Get Justice, Drunk Woman Hurled Racist Abuse, Truly Shocking, Hospice Loses £3 Million, and Stalker Banned from the Guild Hall. Now over to Sue for the first headlines. This
1: is the headline from Friday, July the 26th. Woman burn a s- traveller smash man's skull after loud music complaint. Traveller smashed a man's skull and eye socket with metal bars because he complained that loud music was keeping his children awake. John Pacer Smith and his brother-in-law, Jim Riley-Janes, were both spared immediate jail sentences despite repeatedly bludgeoning John Mongan in the head and body with metal bars at a traveller site in Worcester. Father of four, Mr Mongan was discovered bloody and unconscious on the ground by his partner who rushed out of her caravan in an attempt to stop the beating. Pacer Smith, aged 30, from Waterside Park, Offerton Lane, Warndon, Worcester, and James, aged 26, of Larch Road, Worcester, both received suspended sentences at Worcester Crown Court yesterday. Both men admitted inflicting grievous bodily harm on Mr. Mongan at Waterside Park in Offerton Lane on May the 6th last year. Two other men were originally charged in connection with the assault and two more with witness intimidation. However, the Crown Prosecution Service offered no evidence after discussions took place behind the scenes, avoiding a three-week trial. The incident began when Mr Mongan asked a relative of Pacer Smith's, Henry Smith, to keep the noise down because he had been playing loud music all day. The music was still blaring at 1am and Mr Mongan was concerned his children would not be able to sleep. However, when he spoke to Mr Smith, it resulted in an argument. Michael Aspinall, prosecuting, said John Pacer Smith, known as Pacer, arrived with Janes and both appeared to the victim to be drunk. When Mr Mongan attempted to raise the issue of the noise, Janes attempted to put his arms around him. Mr. Aspinall said, "'At some point Pacer grabbed a metal bar about five feet long "'and swung it at Mr. Mongan. "'It missed but hit the fence. "'Mr. Mongan told Pacer, we will fight in the morning "'and return to his caravan, but found he couldn't sleep, "'getting into his Ford Mondeo in the early hours "'to go to the shop and buy cigarettes.' He saw Pacer's van out of the corner of his eye, reversing at him, striking the front driver's side of his car. As he got out, James hit him to the left side of his head with a metal bar. Mr. Aspinall described how the victim's partner, Charlene Lee, was found in bed when she heard the loud bangs. A neighbour said to her, "They're hitting John." Mr. Aspinall said. She saw her partner on the floor next to his car, unconscious. He was surrounded by four or five men who were beating him with bars and shovels. Some were shouting, Take this, you Irish bastard. She pulled her partner towards the car to get him to safety. Mr. Aspinall said, She noticed her partner was bleeding from his ears, head and nose. His partner also described Pacer smashing the window of Mr Mongan's car and shouting, ''I'll kill you!'' The victim had bruising all over his body, a hairline fracture on the left side of his head and bruising to his hip, leg and calf. Both defendants declined to answer questions in interview and Pacer gave a prepared statement saying he was not involved. In a victim personal statement, Mr Mongan said he was assaulted by six people and suffered a fractured eye socket, fractured skull and bruising all over his body. He sustained 15 separate injuries in the attack and spent three days in hospital. Mr Mongan, who has now moved off the site, had to take painkillers and complained of dizziness, not being able to do anything with his children and of feeling paranoid. "'I'm worried people will come to get me and smash up my caravan with my kids inside,' said Mr Mongan. "'The starting point in the sentencing guidelines for a Category 1 offence "'was all agreed by all sides to be three years in prison "'with a range available in the sentencing judge of between two and a half years.' Raj Punia for Pacer Smith said her client had served the equivalent of a fourteen-month sentence already. After Judge Andrew Lockhart QC withdrew the defendant's bail on May the fifteenth, Pacer Smith had also spent 161 days on a qualifying curfew. Miss Punia said, "When that happened, i.e., his bail being withdrawn." Mr Pacer-Smith was distraught. He was in floods of tears at the thought he was going to be locked up and kept away from his family and had not been prepared for it. Judge Jim Tyndall described Pacer-Smith as the instigator and aggressor identified as a high-risk offender by the probation service. However, the judge said an immediate custodial sentence would have had an effect upon Pacer's family and added, You know now what huge consequences it, the custody, would have for your family. The judge sentenced Pacer Smith to two years in prison, suspended for two years and 40 rehabilitation activity requirement days. He sentenced James to 18 months in prison, suspended for two years and placed him on an electronically tagged curfew for three months between 8pm and 5am daily. He must also complete 150 hours of unpaid work and pay a 300 pound contribution towards costs.
2: And on Saturday, July the 27th, the headline was Rape victim's plea to others, please get justice. A woman who claims she was groomed and raped while living in Worcester as a teenager has called on other victims to come forward. Sam Harron was 13 and living in Worcester under the care of Worcestershire County Council Children's Services when she claims her ordeal took place. Voluntarily waiving her legal right to lifelong anonymity, Miss Harron said, I was living in Worcester in foster care and while in foster care I met a girl who was a bit older than me. I started going out with her regularly and I didn't know... But she was grooming me. Eventually, we would go and meet up with this gang, and that is where the abuse began. We would go and meet up with this group of about 20 people, and we had to do whatever they told us to. I was sexually abused and raped a few times over the course of just four or five months. At the time, Miss Harron was subject to a Section 20 order of the Children's Act 1989, which gives the local authorities the power to provide accommodation for children without a court order when they do not have somewhere suitable to live. Eventually, she was given 28 days' notice by her foster carers and left Worcester. The ordeal left deep psychological scars and Miss Heron said she still suffers the after effects of the abuse. I have got post-traumatic stress from what happened and I'm on medication to help me sleep at night because I still have flashbacks and nightmares. I can't even bring myself to go to Worcester anymore because it triggers all this and I can't cope. The only things that have got me through all this are my mum, Emma and my three kids. All I want from telling my story is that if there are other children out there who this is happening to, that they would be encouraged to speak out and get justice. I know I probably won't get justice for my story, but hopefully if other people come forward they can get the justice they deserve. A spokesman for Worcestershire Children's Services said, I can confirm that we worked with this young woman and her family over a period of time, 2006 to 2010, to address vulnerabilities and harm when she was a child. The case closed in 2010 when she became an adult. In 2015, we undertook a review of the intervention and at that time offered additional support to her as a young adult. New duties were set out in legalisation in the Social Work Act 2017 regarding the local offer and corporate parenting responsibilities to care leavers. Legislation was further amended in February 2018 when those duties and responsibilities were extended to care leavers up to 25 years of age. Previously this was 21 years. We support this change in legalisation. We are now proactive in our local offer to care leavers and we actively seek to keep in touch with young adults after they have left our care to offer support and assistance in their transition to adulthood. DCI Andy Bailey of West Mercia Police said, We can confirm that the case is known to us and while we will not Discuss the details, the matters were subject to a full and thorough investigation. Child sexual exploitation cases are extremely complex, but we are absolutely committed to ensuring that anyone who has experienced these terrible crimes, either now or in the past, gets the help and support they need, and wherever possible, offenders are brought to justice. We have specialist officers and work closely with partner agencies on these issues and would assure assure anyone who comes forward that they will be treated with dignity and
3: respect. And on Monday, July the 29th, the headline, Drunk woman hurled racist abuse near Asian children a drunk woman shouted racially abusive language just metres away from three small Asian children. In an angry, drunken state, Elizabeth Millington, 22, used racially offensive language in front of the children who were being looked after by a relative. Nicola Ritchie, prosecuting at Worcester Magistrates Court, said, On July 4th, officers had calls to attend the defendant's home. The officers attempted to get into her flat and got no answer, but saw her walking towards the property. She was unsteady on her feet and officers were concerned for her personal safety. She had previously been in hospital and police informed her that she needed to return to hospital. Millington swore at at an, an officer, refusing to go back to hospital. She ran away from him around the back of the flats and then stopped. Another officer said she was being loud and swearing, then again attempted to run away, said Miss Ritchie. The cause heard that Millington of Dent Close, Worcester, then started swearing loudly and using racially abusive words around 15 metres away from where the children and their relative were. Defending, James Morris said, this has effectively lost her good character. She can't actually remember the incident. On July the 4th, she was actually in hospital with a head injury. She left against the hospital's advice. She suffers from ADHD and she is currently having some family problems. She also drinks alcohol to deal with these issues. Mr Morris added, the language was not directed at the children and they were at least 15 metres away. She She is willing to accept her punishment. She wants to move on from this and hopefully deal with her personal issues. She is receiving help from Swanswell for her alcohol issues. She has pleaded guilty at the earliest opportunity. Millington was fined £247 in total. Magistrate Keith Stokesy-Smith said, In money terms, it may not be a lot, but I think having lost this on your record will be more of a problem for you. We have heard about the reasons you chose to drink, and that is your choice but we have seen thousands of people in court who, if they haven't been drunk, wouldn't have done what they did. When we get drunk, we lose control of what we do and what we say. The officers came to help you, to take you back to the hospital where help would have been available for you. There were three young children nearby, Asian children, and they shouldn't have heard that language. Hopefully this is a lesson to you. When people are trying to help you, please accept that help. The case was heard on Thursday, July the 25th.
0: The headline for Tuesday, July the 30th, Truly Shocking. Vicious robbers beat a Worcester student unconscious, leaving a footprint on his face before video calling his mother so she could see him lying battered on the ground. Daniel Lloyd and Kiran Gee pretended to help drunk student Jake Molin at McDonald's in Worcester City Centre, but instead, lured him into a dark, secluded part of the city's racecourse and set upon him, leaving him with a traumatic brain injury during a shocking attack. The robbery—sorry, the robbers—facetimed the victim's mother on his stolen iPhone six, so she could see her son lying bleeding on the ground, claiming they had found him like that. Lloyd and G lied to her that they needed the PIN code to unlock the phone so that they could call an ambulance. But an ambulance was never called, and they left him there unconscious. When he sentenced them, the judge said the robbers had only wanted the PIN code so that they could unlock the phone and sell it on. After the robbery, they used the University of Worcester students' stolen bank cards to carry out a series of frauds, including Buying themselves food from McDonald's and a pregnancy test for one of their girlfriends, Lloyd, age twenty-one of Duke Edinburgh Way, sorry Duke of Edinburgh Way in Malvern, and G, twenty-three of Glenthorne Avenue, Worcester, gasped in shock over the prison video link when Judge Nicholas Cartwright jailed them at Worcester Crown Court on Monday, as the victim and his mother watched from the public gallery. David Swinnerton, prosecuting, said the victim, ha- the victim had been preloaded with student friends on vodka and was refused entry to city nightclub bushwhackers. He was already heavily intoxicated by the time he got to McDonald's in the city centre at 1.23am on Monday the 21st, which is where he met G and Lloyd standing outside. They attacked him on Worcester Racecourse, although although the victim has no recollection of the assault, coming to with a footmark on the right-hand side of his face. During the robbery, his iPhone 6 and a wallet containing two bank cards and between £20 and £30 in cash were stolen. It appears his head was stamped on, said Mr Swinnerton. The victim suffered bruises to his eyes and cuts to his nose. The victim's mother received a call from the defendants at two four a.m. and saw her son via FaceTime unconscious on the ground. Mr. Swinnerton said she was understandably very distressed and provided the pin code to the phone. They told her an ambulance had been called. That wasn't true. He was simply left. Mr. Morland was taken to A and E at four forty-six a.m. He had a minor traumatic brain injury. X-rays identified no fractures, and there was no bleeding on the brain in total. G admitted five frauds using the stolen bank card and Lloyd's three Freuds in a victim statement. Mr. Molin said he was anxious about going out on his own, missed the end of year ball and an award ceremony in police interview. Lloyd initially denied being present at all, suggesting he had been at his girlfriend's. G admitted being there, but blamed Lloyd. In a second interview, Lloyd accepted he was present, but claimed G hit him first. Lloyd was also on license at the time, taken as an aggravated feature. Evidence suggested that the footprint on the victim's face came from G's trainer. Now Skinner for G said his client pleaded guilty at an early stage and was entirely remorseful for what had happened. He told the court G hadn't perhaps had the easiest childhood and was studying an open university course to obtain a degree in sports science so he could become a personal trainer. He's young enough to make a sea change. That's what he fully intends to do, said Mr Skinner. Judith Kenny for Lloyd described the offence as opportunist and said he did not remember FaceTiming the victim's mum. Judge Nicholas Cartwright described the robbery as a truly shocking offence and the call to the victim's mother was cynical. The robbery was aggravated by the defendant's previous convictions for violence, targeting the victim because of his perceived vulnerability and the location of the attack. The judge said, You, prevent, you p- pretended that you needed the code from her to unlock his telephone in order to be able to raise assistance from the ambulance service, and not surprisingly, she gave you the code, he added. Once the phone was unlocked, you left him there unconscious. He came around a significant amount of time later and someone else did assist in the way you should have done. Judge Cartwright added, His mother plainly was very much affected, being desperately worried about her son over a period of two and a half hours. The judge jailed Lloyd for six years and G for four and a half. Investigating Officer Detective Constable Edith Anderson from Worcester CID said, This was a vicious and premeditated attack on a vulnerable student. You would like to praise the courage of the victim in coming forward, as well as his mother, who was callously called by the defendants shortly after the attack on FaceTime to inform her that they had found her son. We would also like to thank the University of Worcester security team, Worcester McDonald's and Sainsbury's for their support, And assistance during the investigation of the case. Both Lloyd and Gill were jailed in 2017 for grievous bodily harm for an attack they carried out together. Lloyd, who was in breach of a suspended sentence for burglary, was jailed for four years and Gill for two years for that assault.
1: And this headline is from Wednesday, July the 30th Hospice loses three million in row over fridge freezer. A city hospice has lost out on a £3 million bequest earmarked for a 10-bedded boarding wing after a row with a wealthy couple over a broken fridge freezer they bought from the charity's home store. Mr and Mrs Bunyan were disgusted that St Richard's refused to refund a £22 collection cost they paid to have the appliance taken from the hospice's home store in Lowesmore to their home. During resultant discussions, they claimed they were informed by commercial director Dan Corns that their legacy would no longer be used for a new wing as all of their planning land is already built upon. Instead, it would allegedly be used for other projects not yet specified. The couple had opted to leave all of their fortune to the Wildwood Drive Hospice around ten years ago, they say, with it being spent on the wing to be named after them. They also claim in recent years the hospice has asked them if it could spend some of the money prior to their deaths, which they have refused. We frankly feel that we have made a serious mistake in choosing St. Richard's Hospice as the beneficiary to our wills and that the £3 million legacy would be better allocated to a different and more worthy cause, said Mr. Bunyan, 77. The couple say last week they officially rewrote their will to remove the hospice. The Bunyans, who live on a farm 25 miles away, bought the £120 fridge freezer on May the 13th but claim they were told by a staff member that the store could not deliver that far. <clears throat> they instead hired a Land Rover and trailer from a fellow farmer who then invoiced them for £18 plus £3.67 VAT. Once home, the appliance's rollers were found to be damaged and it was then left to stand upright for five days before being switched on when it was discovered that the freezer section was faulty. The charity agreed to refund the cost of the fridge-freezer and collect it but the Bunyans were advised it did not reimburse initial delivery or collection charges. In letters from Mr Corns and Chief Executive June Patel, the couple were told the store would have delivered it to their home for a standard fee of £30 and that this was apparently explained to them in store. Miss Patel told the Bunyans the faults could have been caused by possible outcomes of incorrect transportation. We believe this is likely to be the cause of the fault with your purchase, she added. Responding to Miss Patel via email, Mr Bunyan said he and his wife were utterly disgusted with the various responses from the hospice. The collection cost us two-thirds of a day's work, not to mention the printing cost involved, to print the online fridge-freezer manual amounting to 14 pages. He went on to say the claims made regarding the unsuitable transportation are utter rot, as the couple had recently transported two other large fridges and had laid them on their sides too, as per expert advice. It is perfectly correct and acceptable to lay a fridge on its side for transportation, providing the door hinges are uppermost, he said. Mr Bunyan added that the store's volunteer claims that a delivery day was suggested, but rebuffed as unsuitable, was utter lies and utter rubbish. He went on to say they feel completely disillusioned with the so-called integrity of St. Richard's and cannot believe the lengths gone to in order um, to renege on what they believe is the honourable thing to do. Mr. Bunyan said the charity is utterly and completely unprincipled, driven only by the here and now quick saving without thought to the honour deserving towards others. He added, The whole affair has been an unbelievable experience. We are absolutely honourable people. We did not expect treatment in the fashion that we have received. In a statement to the Worcester News, Miss Patel said, We're sorry to hear that Mr. Bunyan is unhappy about the outcome of our recent discussion with him about the pre used fridge freezer he purchased from one of our stores. St. Richard's honoured their obligations and arranged to collect the fridge and refund the full amount paid for the item. She added, We are extremely grateful to all those who consider leaving a gift in their will to St. Richard's and appreciate it is the choice of each individual as to whether they donate in this way. She went on to say, We have never seen a copy of Mr. Bunyan's will or are aware of the precise details contained in it. To our knowledge, he has never been asked to donate money relating to this potential legacy, but may well have received literature referring to our ongoing need to fund the hospice services. We feel that we have responded in a professional and honourable way and pride ourselves on being an organisation which is caring and compassionate with all our supporters, patients and their loved ones. Today's headline... Thursday, 1st of
2: August, was stalker banned from Guildhall. A convicted stalker cleared of harassing a council worker has been banned from Worcester's Guildhall as part of a restraining order. The prosecution offered no evidence against pro-democracy campaigner David Griffiths at Worcester Crown Court on Tuesday after their main witness, Alan Taylor, said he did not want to give evidence for a second time. This led to a formal not guilty verdict being returned on behalf of the 50-year-old by Judge Robert Jukes, QC, during a short administrative hearing. Mr Griffiths regularly campaigns outside the Guildhall against council corruption and health issues. Prosecutor Ekval Singh told the court Mr. Taylor had mental health difficulties and does not want to attend again, arguing that there was no prospect of conviction against Mr. Griffiths were there to be a second trial. The case against Mr. Griffiths was that he wrote letters to a council worker in breach of an earlier restraining order, persuading Mr. Taylor to sign them on his behalf an allegation he denied. Although the not guilty verdict was returned, Mr Griffiths was nevertheless made subject to a 10-year restraining order, which prevents him entering Worcester Guildhall in the High Street, including the courtyard enclosed by the railings, other than on election days. Mr Griffiths, who describes himself as a campaigner, was not banned from the High Street a condition which had had been included in a draft of the order but was ditched following discussions between the prosecution and defence. Mr Griffiths, also a member of the Union Unite, objected to this aspect of the restraining order. Speaking after the hearing, Mr Griffiths said he stood his ground and would have breached that particular condition. His barrister, Michael Aspinall, had argued on his behalf that such a prohibition would prevent him carrying on what would be perfectly lawful activity and his right to protest. He still intends to hand out leaflets outside the Guildhall as soon as this Friday, just as he has in the past, though he cannot cross the threshold marked by the railings or enter the building itself. Mr Griffiths had been expected to face a second trial in Hereford, which was due to begin on Tuesday. The jury in the first trial was discharged last month for reasons that were never disclosed in open court. Mr Griffiths of Bridge Street, Worcester, had denied writing the letters to a council procurement officer, and gave evidence in the witness box during his first trial comparing the whole process to something that happens in North Korea. Mr Griffiths denied breaching a restraining order by sending four letters criticising a council procurement officer and charity volunteer Sheila Mari between December ninth and December nineteenth, 2017. Mr Griffiths was convicted of stalking her in 2016. The prosecution said the letters were sent to Worcester City Council, Malvern Hills District Council, Avon District Council and Councillor Joe Hodges in breach of a five-year restraining order imposed on February nineteenth, 2016. Miss Murray said the letters were malicious and vexatious and defamatory of my character. When she gave evidence, she broke down in the witness box and said she was scared of Mr Griffiths. But in his own evidence, Mr Griffiths said, I did not write that letter and claimed he saw it for the first time when police interviewed him. He denied bullying Mr. Taylor, a man with learning difficulties, into writing the letter to Miss Murray and also said an apologetic Mr. Taylor had written a retraction letter. Griffiths was cross-examined by prosecutor Singh Singtivana telling the jury this letter had been lost after he handed it to solicitors Rogers and Co and he wasn't very happy about it. In his trial, Mr Griffiths said, This is the sinister part. The police have used a very vulnerable man to try and get me into trouble. Speaking after the not guilty verdict, Mr Griffiths said, It's shocking. I feel like I'm being set up all the time. I was acquitted, found not guilty. Mr Griffiths said he had been arrested seven or eight times as a result of the case, including twice in one week, which he called surreal. Mr Griffiths said, I'm relieved, but what are they going to do next? I believe in democracy, openness and freedom of speech. He said he had campaigned on behalf of the NHS against corruption, the austerity lie and council's salaries. He said he had suffered depression, anxiety and sleep disturbances as a result of the trial. Mr. Griffiths added, it's made me ill. Hopefully that's it.
3: And now some other items that you might find interesting. Post office closure is unforgivable. A pensioner has criticized the decision to close one stop in St. Peter's next month, with the post office housed inside its struggling to find a new base. It was announced in November that the mini supermarket in Abbotsbury Court was due to shut sometime this summer and this has now been confirmed as August 21st, with the post office to also close on August 17th. Tesco PLC, which owns One Stop, has said it cannot facilitate the post office office in its superstore or nearby St Peter's Drive and it remains unclear whether the service will be lost entirely. (coughs) Excuse me. Mike Kent said the loss of the post office and Tesco's point-blank refusal to open a franchise in the main store is unforgivable. I would be very interested to read your justification for removing this facility from the community, he wrote in an email to the company. In particular, the elderly who have no access to the internet and who may be unable to travel to the nearest alternative well over a mile away. The 69-year-old of Martin Croft, Miss St Peter's, said he is baffled by the decision to close the convenience store, as it has consistently exceeded financial targets. Ever since the district of St Peter's has existed, it has been served by a convenience store at Abbotsbury Court, he continued. This store has provided an invaluable service to the local populace, in particular hosting a post office. Mr Kent believes the one possible explanation is that Tesco hopes to move one-stop's trade to the superstore, which he says is a dangerous game to play since it has already lost customers to Aldi and B&M. A post office spokesman said the postman has resigned and because it does not own the premises, it has had to withdraw its service. A one-stop spokesman said closing the store was not a decision that was taken lightly. In a letter to customers, Post Office Multiples Account Executive Damien Haydock said, We are currently investigation, investigating the opportunities available which will enable us to reinstate a post office service to the local community. He added, We are working hard to keep any period of closure to a minimum. The nearest alternative branches in the area are in Bath Road and Cherry Orchard. Tesco did not provide a response to Mr Kent's comments before we went to print.
0: Staff from a closing down DIY store will not be offered jobs at another branch, the Worcester News understands. We've been told that staff at the home base in Hilton Road are due to be informed that they will not be offered jobs at the company's branch in Blackpool when their store closes down in August. It's also understood that they will not be offered jobs at the range, which will replace the home base in Hilton Road. City Councillor Richard Oudow, who represents St John, said, If true, it's disturbing news. I know many St John's home base staff. They ha- have given years of dedicated service. They are professional shop workers and have excellent product knowledge. It's not an easy climate to try and find new employment, and I just hope that the range will do all within their power to offer them employment and to consider re employing them as a first option. In similar circumstances, most employers would have conditioned the sale of the store to any buyer by asking them to employ their staff, especially if they could not be redeployed. It's a shame and a bitter blow if their previous loyalty to home base and their long standing hard work and dedication has been disregarded in such a cruel way. The Worcester News reported earlier this year. The Home Base branch would be replaced by the range. At the time, a Home Base spokesman said, Every effort will be made to move to redeploy staff to other stores. Home Base did not provide a comment regarding the redeployment of staff before the Worcester News went to print.
1: A video of a man being wrestled to the ground by police after apparently resisting arrest while further drama unfolds as Neighbours Gather has created a storm on social media. Christina Elizabeth Ox posted the video, which apparently took place in Warnden, to Facebook on July the 21st, and it was quickly shared to The Only Way is Tolly and other groups. The unknown man, wearing a dark Adidas hoodie and grey joggers, is seen being held down by four officers as a female camera operator approaches, having already shown three police cars and a police van parked nearby. Other people have already gathered as an officer shouts at the man, put your hands behind your back, while one of the civilians tells them to get off him. A man can be heard telling the camera operator to make sure she's filming, to which she responds by describing the incident as police brutality. Look at it. Up to a dozen officers are shown to have descended on the scene, surrounded by agitated members of the public, many of whom are filming on their phones, while a dog can be heard barking loudly. As the man, having been handcuffed, is taken into a police van, someone says, He can't breathe. Take the jumper off. Officers are then told that the woman in the home outside where the arrest took place needs door keys off the culprit, otherwise she'll be trapped inside. One person tells officers, You are holding her hostage, adding, It's false imprisonment. A woman says she is locked in the house, she can't get out, she needs the keys. She then begins to say if she has to go into hospital and she can't get out, then before trailing off. An officer heads over to the house and tells a woman at an upstairs window that we will bring the keys to you, to which she says no, go get the keys now. She adds that she needs her keys and phone. The officer then picks up and wheels away a bicycle which has been laid on the front lawn throughout the incident. The video has the caption only in Warndon. Commenting, Linda Berry asked, Does it really need eight coppers to arrest one person? Lauren Roberts responded, Probably does, if they resist arrest. Police are unavailable for comment.
2: More than 20 buildings, statues and other city heritage assets left empty and decaying have been labelled at risk on a council register. Worcester City Council has put together a list of buildings and structures in poor to very bad condition and are at risk of further deterioration by neglect, decay and unsympathetic development. Major city heritage sites, such as Grade 1 listed Edgar Tower, Grade 2 listed St. Helens Church in Fish Street, which have both been labelled in poor condition on the Council's at-risk register since 2016, are both undergoing extensive refurbishment. The remains of city walls remain in poor condition and has been on the list since 2007. The Council is looking to historic England for money to spruce up its appearance, according to the Heritage Report. There are several problematic buildings in Angel Street, including the Scala Theatre. Both were in poor condition last year, but the condition has not improved and the Council believes adding them to the list would raise their profile and speed up the process. The former theatre was the subject of some interest by developers and the building appeared in this year's Save Britain's Heritage campaign, but there are currently no plans to do anything with the building. The buildings near the corner of Angel Street opposite McDonald's have been empty and decaying for years. The most recent activity was a planning application for shops and flats but put forward in twenty fourteen that was deemed unsatisfactory and eventually withdrawn. The Queen Victoria Statue outside Shire Hall and the Corn Exchange in Angel Street have both been added to this year's at risk list. A Grade Two listed traditional red telephone box in Bridge Street which was produced to celebrate the jubilee of King George V in 1936, and Boughton Cricket Pavilion, which was dismantled and moved to Avoncroft Museum, were both removed from this year's at-risk list. The council has been working with the owner of two buildings in the city, Ashley's in the Tithing, and the buildings above Deshi Bazaar in Lowesmoor, before handing them Section 215 notices, which would force them
3: to make significant improvements. Residents claim the installation of street lighting and a zebra crossing will exacerbate problems in their village. A proposed housing plan in Hallow near Worcester will introduce 33 new homes as part of the South Worcestershire Development Plan. The proposal states Hayfield Homes Limited will create a housing estate in a field off Main Road opposite the Lady Ghost Stores. Along with the new housing, a zebra crossing and street lighting is set to be fitted outside the primary school. Local District Councillor Dean Clark said, It is my understanding that some years ago Hallow School requested a zebra crossing and that Hallow Parish Council supported this at this present time the school does not have a crossing or a patrol person and so the need for a zebra crossing has become more urgent it has become a possibility due to section 106 funds becoming available for the nearby Hay- hayfields development i recently met with our council county councillor and highways officers for a site visit the zebra crossing will unfortunately involve the provision of some street lighting, the loss of some parking, and more importantly, major traffic disruption while it is installed, which I understand may now take place during the autumn half term holiday. Residents have spoken out against the proposed plans in the village. Carol Gibbs said it's a bit of a duck and dive when trying to cross that road. The traffic on the A443 is already very congested. At certain times of the day, it is virtually impossible to get off my drive onto the A443 due to the volume of traffic. To create a new estate access where proposed will only exacerbate the problem further. Nowhere in the village are there streetlights. It's part of its beauty and the attraction of living there. Mike Baldwin, owner of Lady Go Stores, said... <clears throat> the road is dangerous as it is. I have been here for 20 years and the traffic situation has always been manic. It's a very busy road. Sometimes you can be waiting up to 10 minutes to try and cross. Sarah Willis said, "Hollow village enjoys dark skies, so street lighting will not be a welcome addition in the village. I have always wanted to live in the village, but in the last 12 months it has become unrecognisable. Sue Ashford said the volume of traffic is already huge. Parking really fills up, especially during the school pickup times. It's going to be really busy if the new development happens. It's bad enough as it is. Jan Cowles said the positioning of the new access point isn't ideal. The new access will make things so much worse. People park on the corner of the road or the curb. It obstructs our view when we try to get out of our street. As for the street lights, it will encourage people to drive even faster through the village. Late at night, you can hear cars speeding past. They need to slow down, it's an accident waiting to happen. Duncan Rudge, Planning Services Manager of Malvern Hills District Council, said the applicant's transport statement explains that some improvements are recommended such as the construction of an uncontrolled crossing to help connection to the primary school as well as traffic regulation orders to prevent parking close to the new site access. However, Worcestershire County Council already has a zebra crossing scheme which will be installed next to the pedestrian entrance the work will go ahead just as soon as the necessary technical approvals are in place. Therefore, the developer's proposed scheme is not required. A spokesman from Hayfield Homes Limited said, we have an acute housing shortage in particular affecting young people and we need
0: to be building more homes of all types in all communities. A diver rescued a trapped shark while on holiday on the south coast. Michelle Walton, aged fifty-three, was diving off the coast at Hall Sands in Devon when her partner Peter Love, aged sorry, with her partner Peter Love, aged fifty-two, Miss Walton said, "We were in water less than ten metres down, close to the shore. When me and Pete noticed, after about ten minutes of being in the water, a fishing line, and I indicated to Pete to avoid it. We followed the line, and it disappeared into some seaweed." And when we reached the end, we saw a cat shark caught on a double hook. It was thrashing around, so Pete got out his diving knife, as it obviously couldn't free itself. Which we use in case we ever get caught in anything and cut it free. If it hadn't, if we hadn't found it, it would die. It didn't swim off straight away and seemed to hang around. And it looked at me. I think it was saying thank you for freeing me. Michel and Peter regularly dive in UK waters during their free time and the temperature on that day was warm, perfect for this species of shark. Miss Walton from Kidderminster added, When I go diving, I like to see where the dive takes me. I don't plan it out, and I never know what I'm going to get. On a recent dive, the pair met with the largest species of jellyfish in the UK and swam with it for some time before it moved away. The pair are members of the Worcester-based club Sea Style Diving and Volunteer, to train the young divers at the club. Cat sharks feed on invertebrates and smaller fish and are not harmful to humans. They are one of the largest family of sharks with around 160 species. Some cat sharks do not migrate over long distances because they're poor swimmers. Due to being nocturnal, some species sleep close together in crevices throughout the day and then go hunting at night. Some are referred to as dogfish. A
1: musket was fired as reenactors gathered to promote a major event which will be bursting with history. At the M5 Living History Show, reenactors will cover a wide range of historical periods from ancient Greece to Romans, medieval, Vikings, Napoleonic, American Civil War, and the First and Second World Wars. Over a thousand reenactors will attend the event on August the 10th and the 11th at Specially Park Gardens near Worcester. Two reenactors were in Spetchley Park in full costume yesterday, despite the heat, to promote the Living History Show. One of them, Brian Bullock from Worcester Reenactors, said, "This is the biggest reenactment event in the Midlands. It's a hobby, but it's only good if the public want to watch." Otherwise, it's just grown men playing cowboys and Indians. We want to bring history alive. It started off as a few reenactors, and gradually it has grown. The event, which began in two thousand and sixteen, is supported by Worcestershire Ambassadors, which assists good causes in the county. For more information on the event, visit www dot dot uk slash m five.
2: For some sports news, football's coming home was the message from Droitwich Spa after being granted £1 million by Witchavon District Council. The substantial sum will go towards the creation of a 3G pitch at the town football club's home on King George's playing fields. Work is expected to start in May 2020, meaning the Saltman could be back playing in the town by the start of the 2020-21 season. Spar have been sharing with Starport Swifts at Walsh's Meadow for the past two seasons as the playing fields do not meet the in- entry requirements for the level above West Midlands League Division 1. But with the financial support of the council, SPA will be able to push ahead with the redevelopment before returning home next year. Councillors unanimously agreed to use funding connected to planning agreements for new homes, which is also known as Section 106 money, to invest in the project at an executive meeting on Wednesday. Officers are working with Droitwich Spa Community Football Club, an umbrella not for profit company with representatives from the town's main clubs, to look at funding options to develop a stadium pitch and stadia alongside the three G proposals. This would include a turnstile and small stand and allow both the men's and women's teams to play home games in Droitwich. Once completed, it would also support the development of boys' and girls' football at a junior level, while there is a desire to refurb or rebuild the changing rooms and the pavilion. A club statement read... Football's coming home to Droitwich Spa. It can now be confirmed that Droitwich Spa Football Club can return home to the town's first ever stadia pitch following unanimous support at a Wychhaven Council public meeting. This marks a key milestone in the development of football for all ages and gender in the town. Everybody at the club is obviously delighted with the news which falls in line with the community club's vision and their five-year plan, which they have fought hard for. The news will enable the team to return home, having had to play their football out of town in Starport due to the current ground not being suitable for Step 5 football. Droitwich Spa Football Club welcomes the unanimous support of Witchaven District Council and we look forward to working with the Council to develop not only the stadia pitch but also the Community 3G pitch. The club would also like to thank Richard Whitehall and the CIC who have worked tirelessly over the last four years. The project forms part of the Council's pledge to invest up to £5 million in sport and le- leisure facilities by the end of March 2020. Councillor Rob Adams, Executive Board Member for Community Engagement, Culture and Sport on the Council, said, "'This is an exciting and game-changing investment in sporting facilities,' That will inspire more people to get out and get active as well as develop the next generation of sporting talent. The King George's pitches are currently leased to Witchavon Leisure, who managed them on the council's behalf. No one from the football club was available to comment
3: further. Now some Cricket. Fans still delighting in the recent World Cup triumph have the chance to revel in more top-flight matches as the Physical Disability Cricket World Series comes to Worcestershire next week. England, Afghanistan, Bangladesh, India and Pakistan go head-to-head in a series of matches across the county from Monday until Thursday, August the 15th. This will be the second time the event has been held in Worcestershire and the first to involve five national teams. Last year was a Tri-Nations featuring England, eventually eventual winners Pakistan and Bangladesh. The NatWest-backed tournament is hosted by the England and Wales Cricket Board, Worcestershire Cricket Board and the University of Worcester. Games will be at Barnt Green, Bromsgrove, Kidminster and Worcester's Old Elizabethans. It will culminate in England against the rest of the world for the University of Worcester Cricket Cup at New Road on August the 15th. The teams will be staying at the university throughout the tournament. Ian Martin, ECB's Head of Disability Cricket, said, We're really looking forward to welcoming some of the best disability cricketers in the world to Worcestershire in August for what promises to be a highly competitive series. Our England side have lost to Pakistan in our last two finals but with this squad we're confident of taking that next step to win another major trophy. The standard of disability cricket around the world has increased a great deal in recent years which is great for the game and a multi-nation series like this and we can expect a high standard of cricket to be played this summer. We hope this World Series will inspire more people, both disabled and able-bodied, to pick up a bat and ball and discover what cricket is, a game for them. The university is well advanced in working to create a new indoor inclusive cricket, cricket centre. Insolvency and restructuring practitioner Ian Nairn is gearing up to captain his can- country to glory it will be a far cry from what a lot of england's players do for a living but for the skipper cricket cricket and numbers go hand in hand i enjoy problem solving and making a difference on a human level said nairn who has had his right foot amputated as a toddler whether I'm helping a business owner because they are under financial pressure and don't know where to turn or if I'm helping out one of our bowlers decide how he is going to approach the next ball after being hit for six, it's about having a calm head and using your experience to think rationally. Nan led England to runners-up spot last year and is hoping to go one better this time round to defend the crown they won in Bangladesh in 2015. Juggling a busy life with his business advisory firm, Baldwin's, England comes with its sacrifices. There are a lot of early and late gym sessions and weekends spent travelling to be in the cricket nets. But that's part and parcel of being an elite businessman and athlete, Nairn added. I honestly couldn't call who is favourite for this tournament, which makes it so interesting. Having India, one of the world's biggest cricket nations, on board is a big boost for the tournament and we haven't seen Afghanistan play in four years, so it will be an interesting few days. Some non-mainstream parts of English sport are riding the crest of a wave at the moment, particularly off the back of the success of the England women's football team, so I urge people to check the tournament out if they can. Some of the skill on show is unbelievable. To give you an idea, we have witnessed players with one arm making diving one arm catches that are up there with Andrew Strauss's Superman catch in the 2005 Ashes. England begin their tournament at Kidderminster on Monday against Pakistan at 11am. They then play India at Bromsgrove on Tuesday at 11am, Afghanistan at Oes on Wednesday at 3pm and Bangladesh at Bromsgrove on Friday at 3pm. The final is due to be at Blackfinch New Road on Tuesday, August 13th at 3pm. For more details, visit ecb.co.uk-england-disability.
1: And this is a a football um, story. A groom-to-be and Worcester City fanatic achieved his lifelong dream when he made a surreal cameo appearance for his boyhood club. City agreed to join in with Ian Pardo's stag party celebrations by allowing the 41-year-old to feature in Saturday's pre-season friendly against Worcestershire rivals Bromsgrove Sporting. After being selected on the bench... Among four trialists, Pardo, who usually plays five-a-side football with his mates, replaced striker Dimitri Brown with less than a minute to go in the 3-2 defeat. Pardo failed to get a touch of the ball during his 34 seconds on the field, but it was an experience the Worcester supporters said he would never forget. It was absolutely amazing, said Pardo, who also got to warm up with the City side and walk out with both sets of players. I have been a City fan all my life and I wanted to play for them as a kid. My face must have been a picture. The stag was organised by his best man Nick Scott along with the support of City Chairman Steve Gould and Manager Ashley Vincent. Pardo, who is set to marry Anita Holyoke, admitted he arrived at the Victoria Ground expecting to be the club mascot Georgie Dragon for the afternoon. I had no idea I was going to play until Ash shook my hand and said, ''We will get you a kit and get you on,'' Pardo said. It was surreal. As the game went on and we were losing 3-2, I thought there was no chance I would get on now. But all of a sudden Ash said, ''Right, you're on.'' I said, ''What? Are you sure?'' My heart rate was also absolutely crazy. My dad was there as well, which made it even better as he's a City fan too. Any hopes of Pardo netting a dramatic last gasp equaliser were dashed when the linesman's flag went up. There was a ball over the top, but Tyrese Ruddock was offside, Pardo said. If he hadn't been offside, he could have passed the ball across to me and I could have scored. I don't know what that would have happened if it. I'm sorry. I don't know what would have happened if I had done that. Scott, who works with Pardo at corporate hotel booking agency, arranged my praise city for giving him his best mate a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It was Ian's dream come true. Scott said he could not have been happier. There was a real community feel about it. It was a nice. It was nice that they allowed one of their fans to do that and make his day so special. He didn't get to kick the ball, but that didn't matter as he got to wear the kit and has now got the shortest playing career ever. I think it was 34 seconds. City are gearing up for the upcoming Midland League Premier Division campaign, but Good insistent insisted Vincent was more than happy to give Pardo a run out. I spoke to Ash before the game, saying that if we were 1-0 up or drawing 1-1, It would be awkward to bring him on because if we did concede a late goal, we would have received abuse from some people, Gould said. But Ash said he would do all he could to get him on. The game had almost finished, so it was nice for him to come on. It was an ambition he never thought he would achieve. If anyone wants to have a moan about it, they can have a word with me, as I have no qualms at all.
2: And now back to a selection of other news. The first one is the mayor's column. This week's diary, not unlike life itself, is a tale of winners and losers. My face was as red as my mayor's gown on one occasion, I'm embarrassed to say, but first to business. You'll recall I invited the managers of High Street Banks to discuss fundraising initiatives for my charities with a £100,000 target in mind. Sarah Thompson of Barclays Bank had some winning ideas. I was also glad of an opportunity to say a personal thank you to Edward Kendrick for his bright ideas with seven freewheelers. This resulted in the handover of a high-powered motorbike to the blood transfusion service, so even faster deliveries can be made. Lots of winners there, for sure. Age Concern UK is an organisation whose work I hugely applaud and two separate meetings brought home the amazing work they do. Later the same day, I met with the Worcester Twinning Association, which is marking the 20th anniversary of our, our city's close ties with the Twin City in Massachusetts, with much anticipated performances by the city's choir. Then children from St. Joseph's School showed me where they spend their days, and so this week I reciprocated, showing them where I spend mine, the parlour. Very impressed they were too. And now the embarrassing bit. My wife Nassim and I were invited to Hallow Sports and Social Club for a Malvern Hills District Council's charity Skittles evening, and guess what? First time she's ever played and she beat me by a mile. Saturday was frantic, a visit to the opening of Baton Rise play area, wielding the lightsaber to open the May the Toys Be With You exhibition at the M- Museum and Art Gallery, dancing with woodies in a high-energy preview of the upcoming production to the surprise of shoppers in Crowngate, and a charming service in the cathedral to say farewell to Graham Usher, the Bishop of Dudley. And on Sunday we were in Pershaw for the town's civic
3: service. A fast food restaurant has been granted a licence to sell late-night refreshments, Pepe's Piri Piri in Lowesmoor, Worcester, was granted the licence in May after the owner, Mutar Shah, had submitted the application the previous month. This means the eatery is now allowed to serve hot food and non-alcoholic beverages until 2am every day rather than 11pm according to the licence record. Mr Shah, (coughs) aged 44, said it's been good to open up later to the public. After a late night they can rely on Pepe's. Business has been excellent. It's definitely been ideal staying open later. Mr Shaw from Redditch added, There's a lot of nice people in Lowsmore. It's up and coming. It's all about working together as a team and suggesting different places to customers to help other businesses in the strip. There's movement here. Things are changing. This is the gateway to the city. As part of the application submitted by United LA Limited, there are several mandatory conditions that must be followed as part of his operating schedule. One of the conditions include the protection of children from harm, which will be supported by all staff who will be safeguard trained in relation to under-18s. A training record must also be kept on the premises to be represented for inspection to police on regular. Regu- un- Sorry, on regulating authority upon request. No alcohol is allowed on site and notices will be displayed around the venue asking customers to leave the restaurant quietly. A logbook documenting all incidents of crime and disorder must be kept and updated. A password-protected CCTV system will be in operation whilst the venue is open and will be given to police if requested, while a trained staff member will be there at all times who can produce viewable copies. The franchise Chicken Restaurant opened its doors in August last year, where the former Worcester Mayor Jabarias, joined Mr Shah for the official opening.
0: Owners of an Indian restaurant have raised money for a charity helping a five-year-old boy who was diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia. Emma Meacham from IK, that's Indian Kitchen, hosted an event in a bid to boost funds for the charity Anthony Nolan, which runs a blood stem cell register to help people with blood cancer or disorders find stem cell donors. The charity supported the Pitmaston Primary School student Oscar Saxoby-Lee after he was diagnosed with T-cell acute lyphoblastic leukaemia last Christmas. Thousands of people signed up to become stem cell donors as part of a campaign called Hand in Hand for Oscar, which went viral around the world. Live music and an array of small dishes known as Thali were on offer at the restaurant in Canada Way, Worcester, on July the 25th. There were 24 bookings on the night, which raised £68.25. and p. 20% of the total takings of the evening were donated to charity. Mrs Meesham, aged 36, said, With Oscar, it's a bit close to home, as we have children who attend Pitmaston. We want to do something to help the family and raise money, to benefit the charity. We served traditional Indian food in what looked like school dinner trays. The idea of Thali is to separate food in each compartment so you can get a bit of everything from a starter, main dish and selection of naan breads. It's a way of getting people to try something different that they wouldn't usually. It's for those who want to get a small portion of everything and have something they haven't tasted before. It was really good for our first event. The restaurant was busy. We want to host mu- monthly events for local causes. We're always looking for different charities to support. Mrs. Meesham and her husband, Alan, took over the restaurant at the end of April, which was formerly known as Arishana. Mrs. Meesham added, Obviously, we are not Indian, and we're not trying to be. We offer a relaxed atmosphere and tell our customers to come in and have a drink and chill. We're not one of those places where you have to come and go. We're tucked away in a corner, so it's nice to get our restaurant out there. The previous owners had a bit of a bad press, so we want to highlight the fact that it's got new ownership and get our name out there. Mr Meacham, age 51, added, Everyone is doing their bit to help, and we wanted to contribute too. We hope to see a grow in momentum and be able to do this every month. We've already been approached by a few other people. During the week when we're quite quiet, we are hoping to do a few charity events for different causes. The next charity event at the restaurant will take place on August the 2nd.
1: A new 24-hour homeless night shelter is set to open in the city centre following a funding boost from the government. The Somewhere Safe to Stay Centre at the Salvation Army's base in the Trinity is due to open in September thanks to a 2042 government grant the scheme will be a major boost to support for people across Worcestershire who are already sleeping rough or who who are at risk of ending up out on the streets. The shelter would be able to house six rough sleepers a night and would provide showers and washing and laundry facilities. Councillor James Stanley, Chairman of the Council's Communities Committee, said, This is a positive step in the county-wide campaign to reduce rough sleeping, as the funding will create a place of safety all year round, not just during the cold winter months. The Somewhere Safe to Stay Centre will have staff available 24 hours a day to give rapid and intensive support to help people off the streets and into accommodation. The new centre will provide a safe environment for rough sleepers who are committed to coming off the streets and will come equipped with private interview rooms so that people can receive specialised support from a range of agencies. The shelter rough sleepers who are already working with support services and will provide a new round all-around night shelter with support workers on site 24 hours a day. The aim is to create a safe place where people in crisis can have their needs assessed urgently, away from any dangers that they may encounter sleeping on the streets. Support workers will work with rough sleepers in the centre to draw up an action plan to get them back into accommodation. The government funding comes from a bid led by Worcester City Council on behalf of the county's other district councils in Witchavon, Malvern Hills, Bromsgrove, Redditch and Wire Forest. The centre will be run Charity Caring for Communities and People, which was also part of the bid for government funding and which also runs the Single Homeless and Childless Couples Homelessness Prevention Services for the county. Money for the shelters' showers was raised by Caring for Communities and People through its sponsored Big Sleep Out event held earlier this year.
2: Harriet Baldwin the MP for West Worcestershire, has lost her job at the Foreign Office. Mrs Baldwin has been the Foreign and International Development Minister since January 2018, but has lost the position as a result of the major reshuffle of the government after Boris Johnson became Prime Minister this week. Mr Johnson made changes to the lower-ranked jobs after an earlier major shake-up of his Cabinet. Mrs. Baldwin has served in various roles in Theresa May and predecessor David Cameron's governments. Mrs. Baldwin backed Mr. Johnson's rival Jeremy Hunt during the leadership contest of recent weeks. Tweeting about the news, Mrs. Baldwin said it's been an honour to serve in the Foreign Office, the Department for International Development, Ministry of Defence, the Treasury and the Whip's Office. I'll be supporting Boris Johnson and his excellent team of ministers from the backbenches. Meanwhile, before the Worcester News went to print, there was still no news on whether Worcester MP Robin Walker was changing his role. Mr. Walker has served as a minister in the Department for Exiting the European Union since July 2016. On Thursday, he told us the told the Worcester News he was waiting for news on whether he was staying or moving on. There is always speculation, but we will just have to wait and see, the MP added. He also said he was absolutely delighted that Bromsgrove MP Sajid Javis, whom Mr Walker backed in the leadership contest contest, had been appointed to the position of Chancellor.
3: A seven-year-old girl has raised funds for a charity which was created in memory of her grandfather who had cancer. The Smile Charitable Foundation was set up ten months ago in memory of Edward Henry, who passed away 16 years ago. The charity aims to host events to raise money, which will then be donated to individuals or groups who can apply for a grant through the organisation. Mr Henry's three children... Tori, Katie and Jack, who formed the charity, were inspired to choose the name after browsing through old photographs. Tori Diga, aged 36, said, When looking through the photos, there was no moment when any- anyone felt sad. He always brought a smile to our face and that's why we chose the name. The first charity event was held on July the 17th, which would have marked Mr Henry's 60th birthday. It was held by his granddaughter, Libby Tridiger from Worcester. Libby organised a cake stall at her school, Broadwell's Primary School, and raised £115.75. The money has been donated to the Riverbank Children's Ward at Worcestershire Royal Hospital for sensory equipment. This follows Libby's 18-month-old brother, William, who has received care from the hospital as he suffers from problems with his breathing. Mrs Trigadega said Libby didn't meet her grandfather so she often asks about him. She wanted to do something in memory of him and to mark his birthday. We are so proud of her. He was incredibly generous and such a kind person. We wanted to do something positive from something so negative. It's lovely to make a difference and to offer help to those who need it. There are so many children in Worcester who benefit from the hospital. Alison Northover, a teacher from Broadwell's primary school, said, Libby's fundraising idea was lovely and we were all very happy to support her. We are delighted that she raised so much money from her bake sale and are very proud of her. Dana Pickin Matron for Children's Services said, We are so grateful to Libby and her family for the generous donation. We are all so impressed with her fundraising events, the fantastic amount she has raised and the wonderfully tasty cakes. The money Libby has raised will go towards purchasing sensory toys and equipment.
1: A woman has been airlifted to hospital after a gas tank exploded at Upton Marina, resulting in a significant fire. The woman in her 60s was airlifted to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham. She's in a serious condition. Emergency crews raced to the scene just after midday yesterday um, with an eyewitness claiming people were being thrown from a boat by the explosion with three vessels, including one 25 feet long, nearly completely destroyed. Phil Hickman told us at the scene he had not heard a noise like it and described thick black smoke filling the sky. It was frightening, he added. A woman badly burned and her son also injured were airlifted to hospital, we understand, with a total of three people said to be injured. One witness said at least two tenders and the rib boat was seen rushing there being towed by a large fire vehicle.' Four fire engines were battling the fire at the scene, they added. A woman who works at a nearby pub, who didn't wish to be named, said she heard a bang and there was an explosion. Upton firefighters were there within minutes. Four boats have been on fire. Heard three people were injured. A West Midlands ambulance service said we were called to reports of patients who had suffered burns after a fire and an explosion. On arrival, ambulance staff found three patients who had come off one boat and who had been injured. The fire on the first boat had spread to two others. A man in his thirties was taken by road to the same hospital with less serious injuries. A second woman in her sixties was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital for further treatment. Landlords of a
2: Worcester pub will be hosting a Christmas event in August as they don't have the staff over the holidays. Dave Davis from the Maple Leaf in Canada Way says the event was originally brought up as a joke. However, after mentioning the idea to customers, locals have shown an interest in the event. Mr. David, aged 52, said, This all started off as a joke, to be honest. We don't usually do Christmas at the pub because we can't get the staff. I don't expect them to work on Christmas Day, though. They should be with their families. Mr. Davis claimed the crea- he created the event Christmas Lunch in August and posted it on Facebook, where within two days the pub was fully booked. Mr. Davis and his partner Heidi Kirkham, aged 47, have been landlords at the Worcester pub for almost 15 years. Mr Davies added, it'll be the first time we have done Christmas in August. It's going to be so special. We've already bought the customers their presents. We have just got to wrap them up now. We're excited. It'll be very different. Our customers get on well together. They come in for a bit of banter, a chinwag and catch up. It's kind of like an over-60s club. Every single person who will attend are regulars and come see us every Sunday for lunch. It'll be a laugh. Father Christmas and Miss, Mrs. Claus will be gracing the pub with their presents. There'll be a three-course meal and gift-giving throughout the day. Mr. Davis added, There will be festive decorations, a Christmas tree and lots of cheesy things going on. It'll be great. One regular customer, Rita Nugent, has been visiting the pub for five years. Mrs Nugent said, They are a lovely and friendly couple. I go there every Sunday. They do the most amazing carvery and that you could wish to have. Everybody wanted them to do a Christmas lunch, but they said they don't have the staff, so this is why the event has come about. I think it's a bit different. It's really for the locals who would love a Christmas with everyone. Forty-two people are set to attend the early Christmas gathering on Sunday, August the 11th.
0: And that nearly brings us to the end. Um, just an, an update on uh, MP Robin Walker's new job. MP for Worcester Robin Walker has been appointed as a Scotland Office Minister. Mr. Walker tweeted, a huge honour to be made Minister of the Union, working with Boris Johnson. Our previous, uni- Sorry, our previous union deserves to thrive through Brexit and beyond. I will work with colleagues all across the UK to ensure that it does. Um, just a reminder lighting up time is 2100 to 529. Emergency phone number for out-of-hours medical assistance 6pm to 8pm is 0300 and the NHS number for non-emergency help is 111. Malvern Theatre telephone number 01684 Worcester Live 611429 covers the Swan and Huntington Hall. Worcester Hub number for Council Matters is seven six five seven six five or seven two 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 three three. crime Crimestoppers telephone number 0800 555 And our telephone number is 01905 767766. And our address is 11 Wilds Lane, Worcester WR5 1DA. Our website address is dot. WorcesterTalkingNews.org.uk, on which you can find all the recordings for the weekly news and monthly magazine and much more. And listeners are also kindly reminded that we have an extensive library of talking books. We have fiction, thrillers, romance, to name but a few. Talking books are available in many formats, as in tape and CD, Um, We can provide a list of books in our library and the list can be provided in large print or hard copy or on tape. Leave a message on 01905 767766, um, which is our answer phone, or pop a note in with your talking newspaper stick. And again, just uh, for your reminding, sorry, just to remind you that we will be reading the Bible verse and obituaries after the final music. For the day, Mark 9, verses 38 to 42. Teacher said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in our name, sorry, in your name, and we told them to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. And the obituaries start. Margaret Mary Atkinson passed away peacefully on July the 13th, aged 85. Celebration of her life will take place at St. Edburger Church in Lye on August the 5th at 12 noon. Phyllis Violet Hardwick, known as Phil, passed away peacefully on July the 14th, age 90. Funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on August the 2nd at 1pm. Margaret Eliza May Hewlett, passed away on July the 6th, age 85. The service to celebrate her life will take place at Worcester Crematorium on August the 8th at 2.30. John Lewis, former of Braemar Frames, passed away peacefully at St. Richard's Hospice on July the 18th. Age seventy-one. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on August the eighth at eleven thirty. Ray Mayus passed away peacefully on July the twenty-first. The Thanksgiving service is at St Martin's Church on London Road on August the second at twelve thirty. Robert Frederick Morris of Ambleside Road passed away peacefully on July the tenth. Aged 85, the funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on August the 2nd at 10.45. Strange Ward Short, known as Stran, passed away peacefully on June the 30th, aged 85. The memorial service is at St. James Church, Welland, on August the 2nd at 12 noon. Eileen Patricia Stanley, née Brian, known as Pat, passed away peacefully at St. Richard's Hospice on July the 22nd, aged 87. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on July the 31st at 1pm. Trevor William Vicarage died on July the 15th, aged 68. The funeral is at the Vale Crematorium in Fladbury on August the 9th at 2pm. Dinah Jane Weekly, née Cole, died at home on July the 13th. No, de- no details have been given of the funeral. Margaret Ivy Edwards passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal on July the 18th, age 88. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on August the 5th, at 2.30. Vivian Elizabeth Watson passed away peacefully at the Royal uh, in Worcester on July the 17th, age 94. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on August the 2nd, at 10 a.m. Mavis Eastbury, née Rowley a guide and Brownies leader for 30 years, passed away peacefully on July the 24th, age 95. The funeral service is at St Barnabas Church on August the 6th at 12.15. Doreen May Heath passed away on July the 19th, age 97. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on August the 6th at 2.30. Bernard Higginson of Fernal Heath passed away in hospital on July the 23rd, aged eighty seven. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on august the seventh at eleven thirty. Eileen Beryl Buse. Bruce passed away at Hereford County Hospital on july the twenty third, aged eighty nine. The funeral is at St. Peter and St. Paul's Church in Whitney on Wye at two PM on august the fifth. Our thoughts and sympathies go out to all the families.